Hello, it's October 2021 and welcome to this joint Lancet Haematology and Lancet Healthy Longevity episode of In Conversation With. I'm Ben Burwood. On October 5th, the joint Lancet Haematology and Healthy Longevity series focusing on haematological malignancies in older people was published. I'm delighted to be joined by series lead Dr. Raul Cordoba, a specialist in haematology and hemotherapy from the Fundación Jiménez Díaz University Hospital in Madrid, Spain, to discuss these papers further. Firstly, could you explain the importance of better understanding the biology, prognosis and treatment approaches in older adults with haematological malignancies? What are the unique considerations in this older patient group compared with younger patients or those with solid tumours? Okay, thank you very much for the uh, introduction. I want to start saying that uh, age by itself is the single uh, risk factor for uh, most of cancers, including patients with hematological malignancies. And we can see these poor prognosis across all of hematological malignancy subtypes. Uh, for example, we have seen that uh, there is a very poor prognosis in, uh, in patients with acute myeloid leukemia. And uh, for example, in another subtypes of malignancies, such as diffuse large vessel lymphoma, we have improved in the last decades uh, the outcome with the introduction of uh, drugs such as uh, rituximab. So with the uh, introduction of new agents uh, to the standard uh, lines of, of therapy, we can improve the outcome also not only in younger patients but also in, in older patients. I want to point out that the biology of the diseases may be different from old adults if you compare with uh, younger patients, with younger individuals. Uh, for example, in diffuse large vessel lymphoma, uh, we are going to uh, find a higher prevalence of uh, ABC subtype, the activated B cell lymphoma subtype, which has a poor uh, prognostic factor uh, if you compare it with the other subtype, uh, which is the germinal center B cell uh, uh, subtype. And we are going also to find a higher prevalence of P53 positivity in the samples. And this is going to confer a primary chemo resistance to the standard therapy that we can offer to all of our patients. And, uh, for example, uh, it happens also in another hematological malignancy, such as um, acute myeloid leukemia. In older patients, we are going to see more AML therapy related. That means that this AML is going to, to come up from a previous condition regarding previous therapy with chemotherapy or radiation for other cancer that the patient can suffer previous in, uh, in their life. And also we are going to find more acute myeloid leukemia related to myelodysplastic syndromes that at the end is going to reveal uh, the aging of bone marrow and the hematopoiesis. So biology is also going to impact in the poor prognosis of, uh, of our patients. And at the end, the poor tolerance of chemotherapy is going to impact because we uh, have um, so far chemotherapy and uh, now with the onset of new lines of therapy with new drugs, with non-chemotherapy regimens, we are going to be able to offer patients uh, non-so-toxic uh, regimens and uh, at the end the tolerability is going to be much better. Thank you for that. How can geriatric assessments and related measures of physiological age be used to guide clinical decision making, such as for hematopoietic stem cell transplantation? This is a very good question because when we are seeing a patient in the clinic above uh, 80 years of age, we have to check about their 
frailty status, because so far we do not know uh, how to distinguish between the chronological age and the biological age. That means the functional reserve that the patient has in order to face to uh, chemotherapy, surgeries or uh, other treatments that we can uh, give to them. So it's very important to, to check beyond 70 years of age this functional reserve uh, in order to um, cope with these therapies that we are uh, going to give in order to treat uh, their malignancy. So after uh, assessing this frailty, we are going to identify which patients are going to benefit from a, a comprehensive geriatric assessment in order to identify and classify patients into three different phenotypes, robust or uh, fit patients, that are going to be able to receive a standard doses of therapy uh, like younger patients and the outcome of these patients are going to be very good, at least um, as, as good as uh, younger patients. Uh, we are going to, uh, to identify intermediate group of uh, vulnerable patients that uh, may benefit uh, from therapy, but we have to adapt or to tailor therapy in this group of patients. And a third group of uh, frail patients or uh, poor prognosis patients that we uh, should give only palliative therapy in order not to increase toxicity. So at the end, the goal of geriatric assessment is to identify which patients are fit enough in order not to be undertreated just because of the age and to uh, identify a group of frail patients uh, not to be overtreated and not to give more toxicity to them because if we are increasing toxicity we are not going to improve the outcome. Could I just ask a quick question on on the back of that? So, so you mentioned there about patients older than 70. So what rough proportions would all patients over 70 be put into that um, sort of palliative care only category or would they be split Across, across the three or just across those last two? The median age uh, at diagnosis of mostly all hematological malignancies is around uh, 65 to 70. So mm -hmm. over 50% of patients are going to be above 70 years of age at the time of diagnosis. So uh, half of our patients. And in this group of patients, one third are going to be uh, fit in order to be treated as a younger patient, only 10% is going to be in the uh, palliation group and the, and, and the rest is going to be considered uh, vulnerable in order to uh, receive a, a tailored therapy. So probably 30, 60, 10% more or less. Considering that population ageing will place a disproportionately high burden on lower and middle income countries, what are some key strategies to bolster geriatric haematology in these regions? As uh, I previously mentioned, age is a risk factor of cancer. And developed countries uh, are facing to an uh, aging population. And now we are seeing in high income countries a high proportion of older patients in uh, our clinics. And it is not the same in uh, all countries. So we have uh, to see uh, to our population pyramid because we are going to see different uh, subgroup of patients in different age groups. And uh, low and middle income countries uh, now uh, are not suffering from this aging population, but probably in the next decade, 10 or 20 years, uh, they are going to face with an uh, aging population 
but with uh, scattered resources that uh, we are not facing in the uh, high-income countries. So, in my opinion, uh, they are on time in order to uh, implement uh, these strategies and they have time to trained in uh, geriatric hematology strategies in order to get everything uh, very well organized when they are going to suffer from this silver wave uh, that that means that we are going to uh, to have many many of uh, our patients in our clinics um, uh, with advanced age so we have to be ready for this tsunami i like that silver wave in your opinion, what are the key take-home messages from the series of papers for policy and clinical practice? In my opinion, these uh, five paper series um, provide the novel update in this field of geriatric hematology and how to adapt the treatment in order to give the best to our patients, not to under-treat fit patients in order to improve the outcome, but not to uh, over-treat those frail patients in order not to increase toxicity. So uh, the first paper, uh, which is the geriatric assessment, uh, this paper collects all the tools that we have in order to be used in uh, in our clinics. So uh, we have a compilation of uh, frailty tools and how to perform a comprehensive geriatric assessment. At the end, it's not a unique questionnaire, so um, we have to explore different domains in the comprehensive geriatric assessment, but there are many tools in order to explore the different domains. So we have to decide which tool we are going to use in this uh, assessment. And this paper uh, highlights all the tools that we have in order to be uh, used in this uh, geriatric assessment. Because... um, this, the geriatric hematology, the goal is not to do only an assessment, but to do uh, recommendations and to tailor therapy in order to be adapted to the age of the patients. The second paper collects and, and wrap up all the uh, evidence of clinical trials uh, in different hematological malignancy subtypes. So we provide with data, with evidence, with clinical evidence about which is the best strategy in order to be given to, to the patient with a specific um, uh, hematological malignancy. One of these uh, treatment strategies is bone marrow transplantation, and there is a specific issue uh, reviewing the role of not only autologous, but also allogenic stem cell transplant and how to select and identify the best donor for uh, our patients. And if the patient is not fit enough and and at the end uh, this patient is going to benefit only from uh, palliation, uh, there is another paper that uh, covers uh, the uh, palliative care and supportive care that we have to offer uh, to our patient because palliation does not mean to stop the therapy but to treat their symptoms in order to improve the health-related quality of life. And we all know that uh, we have scattered resources, not only in low and middle uh, income country, but also in high uh, income countries. Uh, So we have to um, identify which resources we have in uh, each institution, in our institutions, in order to implement a geriatric hematology program. So the last paper that is covering uh, how to implement it in low and middle income countries, it's going to be also useful for 
high-income countries that uh, are willing to implement a geriatric hematology program in their institution. You mentioned earlier on about the silver wave in lower middle income countries. Are higher income countries already in that in that wave or is that or is that coming now? The silver wave is just coming now to um, high income countries. Uh, for example, in in Spain, which is the the second country in the world with a more aged population in uh, 2040, so in less than 20 years, one of third Spaniards are going to be over 65. So in the next 10, 20 years, uh, we are going to see this silver wave in our system, not only in the health system, but also uh, in, the, in the economy, because uh, they are, at the end they are not going to, uh, to work and to pay taxes, and it's going to impact in all of aspects in our life. So we have to be ready uh, for this change in our population. And it's not only going to happen in Spain, but also in many countries in Europe. So my first recommendation is to check for the demographics for the population pyramid in order to see when each specific country is going to not to suffer, but to to live uh, with the silver uh, wave uh, in order to be ready and to be prepared to um, to adapt the health system to to give health care to to this group of patients. Thank you for that again. Lastly, uh, what do you think are the crucial avenues for future research in geriatric hematology? Well, I think that the first thing that we have to do is to create evidence. And I mean with this that we have to use this uh, frailty assessment and, and, and comprehensive genetic assessment in clinical trials. If we do not have um, high uh, quality data uh, coming from clinical trials, it's going to be difficult to um, reach con uh, robust conclusions. So my first willingness to um, explore geriatric assessment within clinical trials, not only in hematological malignancies, but in all kinds of cancers. The second thing that we have to, to, to improve is to uh, get closer relationships between translational research researchers, research centers and clinical researchers, because at the end we need a link between the, uh, the basic research and the clinical research. At the end is the, the knowledge coming from the lab that is going to be applied in, the, um, in a clinical trial with novel drugs that uh, we are going to, to, to explore in, in our patients. Uh, so far, most of the clinical trials are done in younger patients and the results are extrapolated to other patients. And we all know that the biology is different and the uh, tolerability is different. So we have to create this evidence. And the third thing that we have to uh, to uh, to improve or at least to try to 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 reach out is uh, to identify the biologic clock and that means we um, know the chronological age but we do not know the biological age now we have many tools in order to address this functional reserve but we do not have a specific test in order to tell us which is the, uh, the biologic clock, uh, not the chronological uh, clock uh, in every single patient. So there have been many attempts in order to identify this biological age, but uh, we do not have 
so far in specific tests. So probably uh, one of, uh, of the future strategies in geriatric hematologists to identify this biological age in order to be correlated with the chronological age and um, in the tailoring of therapy at the end to improve um, quality of life and, and outcome, of course. Dr. Cordova, thank you so much for joining us and thank you for answering those questions. You can read the five series papers and the link comment online now at thelancet.com. Thank you for listening to this episode of In Conversation With. I remember you can subscribe wherever you usually get your podcasts.